Friends, I am so happy to be here with you. So happy. And if you know anything about me, you know that I cry very easily. I was crying, wow, that last song, that was so beautiful, so beautiful to be singing here with you. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and we will read 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 17. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth." He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Have you ever found things in your life that are very hard to learn? Things that seem unnatural, but you know they're the right things to do? I have now lived in a North African country among Arab Muslims for almost 11 years of my adult life. I've been through numerous trainings on how to interact with different cultures. I've read many books on how to communicate in a way that doesn't offend other cultures. I've even been stamped with a seal of approval by this church and by an organization to go out and communicate effectively across cultural barriers. But still, somehow, I have a hard time adapting to a different way of life. A good example of this was something that happened earlier this year. We were in a coastal town, and we parked near the beach, and each and every time that we park there, multiple people come up and ask us, Uh, Salam, uh, 
I'm not good with French, so I'm about to say this. Vous voulez monter les chameaux? They say that to me in French because I kind of look French, but they, it's usually in Arabic. It's like, uh, which means, do you want to ride the camels? <clears throat> well, each and every time, because we're parking to go to a restaurant, each and every time, I don't want to go, so I'll just say, la shokran, which means, no thank you with a smile on my face. But I have to be reminded from my wife that a definitive no thanks communicates, I don't want to ride your camels and I never will want to ride your camels. <laughs> well, my wife has learned that what communicates love and honor to these people is to say, which means maybe next time. Why do I find this so hard? It's because I grew up a certain way. I think it makes more sense to respond with, no thanks, because I really don't intend to ever ride their camels. <laughs> but despite all of my training and seals of approval to do this work, it's still easy for me to live according to the customs that I grew up with. This is similar to the Corinthians, but they were dealing with much weightier matters. They'd come to receive the seal of the Holy Spirit by accepting Jesus Christ and the foolishness of the cross. They'd spent a year and a half with Paul in Corinth, being taught and trained by him. But even so, they continued to live in the worldly wisdom that they had grown up with. Here's the main point of tonight's lesson. Born-again Christians are susceptible to continuing to live according to the flesh or according to worldly wisdom. But living according to the Spirit will produce new fruit, new character traits, three of which are unity, humility, and prudence. Unity, verses one through four. Look with me at verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul wouldn't address them as spiritual because they weren't acting according to the Spirit. When I first read this, it tripped me up. Is it saying that they're not Christian? No, we must take the clear statements around it and up to this point. He's just said at the end of chapter two that they and he have the mind of Christ. And now in verse one, you can see that he calls them brothers. He calls them infants in Christ. If you look a few verses ahead to verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3, he says that he has laid a foundation of Christ among them. They are Christians, but they are not acting like they have the Spirit. Instead, they are living according to the flesh. Paul himself feels this struggle sometimes. He sometimes wants to live according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. You remember in Romans, when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 7, Verses 14 and 15, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. The Corinthians started off well, accepting what the world considers to be foolish, the foolishness of God, Christ crucified. But since then, they have been continuing in the flesh. Verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. 
Now, I'm going to admit the distinction between what is milk and what is meat in the context of this letter to the Corinthians can be interpreted in a few different ways. I don't think that I can resolve it for you this evening, but I will lay out for you the view that I'm persuaded of. When I've read this before, I would ask myself, was there an initial gospel message of Christ? Death, burial, and resurrection, like if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he lays this out. Is, was there an initial message like that and then a moving on to more important stuff? Well, I'm now persuaded that that is not the case. Consider what Paul himself learned when he was taken to the third heaven. Do you remember this? He writes to the Corinthians in the next letter, 2 Corinthians, and he talks about having this vision or actually having this reality of traveling to the third heaven. And then afterwards, he gets a thorn in his flesh. And he learns from that thorn in his flesh, what? That God's power is made perfect through weakness. So he has this amazing experience that is unparalleled. And he learns that God's power is made perfect through weakness. That's the exact same message that Paul has been preaching and preached and laid the foundation of at Corinth, as we see in the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians, power through weakness. I'm persuaded that the milk-meat distinction was, the, was a distinction that the Corinthians were making. They were wanting meat and wanting to move on from the milk of the gospel, but Paul wouldn't have it. He was speaking to their desire for meat, not his. He had one message for them, Christ crucified, folly and weakness to the world, but power and wisdom to those who believe. To quote someone commenting on this passage, just as only the mature recognize the foolishness of the gospel to be the highest wisdom, so only the mature recognize this milk to be solid food. They were willing to accept the foolishness of the cross at the beginning, but have left that simple message behind to find something more solid. Let's look at verses three and four. And start a little bit before in verse two. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So we're, we've seen that they are living according to the flesh in verse 1, not as spirit-led people. They're abandoning the wisdom of the gospel, not being of the same mind and the same judgment. But instead, verse 3 says, there is jealousy and strife among them. They're forming cliques and advancing their own interests. Acting of the flesh, the old sin nature. Their evaluation of some of their leaders, or may we say their evaluation of prominent Christians who have influential voices in the church, that evaluation was causing division among them, not unity. Does this at all sound familiar? How easy can it be for us to champion some Christian voice and do it in such a way that leads to jealousy and strife? that leads to disunity. If Paul were writing to us, would he say, for when one says, I follow such and such leader who says how to do church well, 
And another, I follow this leader who says how to do church well. Are you not being merely human? Or I follow such and such Christian voice who says how to engage politics well as a Christian. Oh, but I follow such and such leader who says how to engage politics well as a Christian. Are you not acting merely human? How easy is it to form cliques around how to do church, how to engage in politics, how to do missions? And here's the issue. When we lionize our own tribe and we straw man the other, when we lionize the people that we like and we demonize the other, let us learn from the example of the Corinthians. Yes, let us use our mind and work diligently to understand God's will and please him in our decisions about church and about politics and about missions. But let us consider long and hard if our own thoughts, words, and attitudes about leaders and people leading the tribes we belong to, are those thoughts, words, and attitudes leading to unity or disunity in the church? The spirit produces unity. The flesh sows division. Born-again Christians are susceptible to continuing to live according to the flesh or worldly wisdom. But living according to the Spirit will produce new fruit, new character traits, three of which are unity, humility, and prudence. Humility, verses five through nine. So the Corinthians' judgment of their leaders led not only to jealousy, strife, and division, as we saw in verse three, but we see in verses five through eight that it led to boasting in man and not in God. Verse five, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Verse six, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Remember Acts 18? that it was Paul who first went to Corinth, and he was the first one that shared the gospel there. Later, after he had left, Paul sent Apollos. And apparently, these factions in the Corinthian church were boasting in each of these perceived leaders. But Paul reminds them in verse seven, let's see verse seven, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Paul reminds them in verse seven that Paul and Apollos are just playing roles. They are just farmhands. God gives the growth. Verse eight. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. He shows there's no difference between the one who plants and the one who waters. They are one. God is in charge of the results. Verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let me just appeal, appeal to you. We need more workers in the harvest field. More farmhands who are willing to plant seeds and water seeds that have already been planted. Maybe the Lord is pressing upon you that it might be in your future to endeavor to church plant across cultures. If he is, talk to Josiah or one of the pastors. Pastors, 
Maybe he is impressing upon you to go and plant churches cross-culturally. Two takeaways from this section. For members of this church, as you evaluate your leaders and consider the amazing things that God is doing here, when you are doing so by the Spirit, it should lead to humility. The Lord is doing amazing things in and through Desert Springs Church, but it should lead to humility. The Spirit, His wisdom, in the words of Chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, uses what is low and despised in the world so that no human being may, be, may boast in the presence of God. Church members, may we never attribute success in ministry with inherent capabilities and power of a person. God gives the growth. His is the glory. For leaders of this church, only God gives the growth. You are to labor knowing that you will be rewarded for your labor. So as Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Born again Christians are susceptible to continuing to live according to the flesh, or according to worldly wisdom, but living according to the Spirit will produce new fruit, new character traits, three of which are unity, humility, and prudence. Verses 10 through 17, prudence. The dictionary defines prudence as acting with or showing care and thought for the future. The thrust of verses 10 through 17 is Paul looking to that last day and that final evaluation of people's, of people's efforts in building up or tearing down the church. And he's advising the Corinthians to act with and show care and thought for the future. He's wanting them to exhibit a spiritual prudence. And so as to not end the message on a downer, examining those who want to tear down the church, let's deal with that first. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul warns any person in earshot of the reading of this letter if you have it in your heart to tear down God's temple, he will destroy you. Here, I don't believe he's talking to Christians when he gives this warning of destruction. He clearly says that they are, that these Corinthians are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit lives inside them. But to those who might be among them, but not of them, who want to destroy that brother or sister or the Corinthian church in general, that one is looking himself to be destroyed. Such a person is not acting with prudence, concerned about the future, but foolhardily moving toward destruction. Now back to verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul again makes clear, he encourages these Corinthians that he believes them to be Christians. He has laid the foundation of Christ among them. Friends, are you resting on the foundation of Christ? Is the fact that there is a loving God who is infinite and unchangeable, directing everything to his glory, is that foolishness to you? Or do you see it as great wisdom that this infinite God would take on flesh and experience what it is like to be part of what he created? Do you see it as weakness or as power that he would voluntarily lay down his life, his perfectly lived life, and die to save sinners so that no one could boast in his presence? If, you're evalu- if you are evaluating your life and believe that God will commend you for what you have done or be satisfied and excuse your wrongs because of the wrongs done to you, when you stand before him one day, you've missed it. The only thing you can plead before God is that he would accept Jesus' life and obedience in your place. Only his obedience is sufficient. Only his death is pure enough to pay for your rebellion and for mine. Friends, please do not take that route. Though it is the prevailing wisdom of the world to trust in one's own good works to satisfy the Lord. Instead, embrace what the world considers foolish. Jesus Christ in the place of sinners. If you want that, please tell the Lord. Please come and talk to me after the service. Come and talk to one of the pastors. Come and talk to a friend that you know to be Christian. Do not delay. Well, Paul knows that Jesus Christ is power and wisdom to this Corinthian congregation because he laid it himself, verses 10 and 11. But Paul is also aware of our worldly, fleshly tendencies and that we want to judge before the appropriate time. And Paul cautions us to say that no one knows right now how well his work in building up the church will last. He uses this imagery of a building that goes through the fire on the last day. Let's look at verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, that foundation of Christ, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This passage teaches us that even the Christian will be, in a sense, judged on that last day. As we know from Romans 8.1, no Christian will experience condemnation. No, we are all, those whose foundation is Christ, going to enter into the eternal joy of our master. But there will be an experience of reward and loss on that last day 
according to how we have built on the foundation of Christ. So what is the takeaway? Prudence. Don't judge too early. Verse 13 says that final day is going to disclose it. Also, prudence. Act with care about how you build the church as an institution. Act with care about how you build up one another. Act with care as you seek to be built up yourself. Be diligent to build up according to God's wisdom, not man's. May we continue to focus our efforts in knowing his word, not being conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. This is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, who dwells in those whose foundation is Christ. Friends, born-again Christians are susceptible to continuing to live according to the flesh, a worldly wisdom. But living according to the Spirit will produce new fruit, new character traits, three of which are unity, humility, and prudence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work that you have been doing in this congregation for many years. The foundation has been laid of Christ. Thank you for that. And thank you that, that your spirit is at work here. And it is bearing those fruits of unity, humility, and prudence. And I pray that it would continue. Lord, may it grow and grow and grow. May we continue to see where we are are causing disunity by the way that we talk, the way that we are wrongly judging ourselves and our leaders as we do it with pride, and as we, as we try and call things too soon and don't trust you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, teach us, help us continue to grow these fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.